Hi, and welcome to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber. Nixie Graves is not joining me today, but uh, joining me instead is special guest Evan Park, a good friend of mine and an actor who's been in movies such as Cider House Rules, King Kong, and Django Unchained. Additionally, he's been on a lot of TV shows, and he recently had a pretty big role in The Get Down, which we'll be talking about uh, quite a bit later on in the podcast. But I hope that you'll enjoy our conversation about uh, what it's like to be an actor, about his career, about uh, some of the amazing people he's worked with, and how he wrestles with uh, being in an industry that can be a little gritty uh, while being a person of faith uh, and a divinity school student. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and uh, Nick Seagraves is not with us this week. He is moving, but what I wanted to do is sit down and, and talk about something that I thought was a pretty important piece of pop culture, dig into it. Um, it's a show on Netflix called The Get Down. Uh, it's about uh, 1970s, late 1970s, South Bronx, the hip-hop scene kind of developing out of disco. And joining me uh, for this is my, my good friend, Evan Park. Uh, thanks for coming on, Evan. Hey, thanks, Ryan. That's not not a problem. It's happy. To, I'm happy to be here. I'm on, I almost said it's happy to be here. I'm happy. No, I'm happy to have you. Now, Evan, you've got a pretty yeah. interesting perspective on the get down. We'll get to that in a little bit. But could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Like, who, who are you? Why would I have you on a podcast about movies? Oh wow. Well, um, well, I'm I'm, I'm an actor, professional actor. Uh, I've been doing it since uh, 19. I have to count. Well, it's when I graduated <laughs> acting school, uh, 1997. All right. I, I, I got the train in, in theater and then got out and was doing theater and then television and film. And I really enjoy it. Uh, and so I've been doing it for that long. And, and I've taken some time off, but I've come back uh, and I'm committed to just to sitting it out and telling stories. So I really enjoy it. Uh, I've done over maybe about 14 movies, probably over 130 wow. episodes of television. I've done uh, Broadway and off-Broadway stage. So we could we could uh, safely theater. call you a working actor, right? Like you're... Yeah, yeah. You could safely call me that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And what, you know, what were some of your earliest kind of like, oh, like when you had that feeling of, yes, I finally got this. Like what were some of those those, those early breaks for you? Wow. Uh, well, it's funny. I guess one early break for me was, was getting, getting a, a series uh, when I did Dragnet. I'd always wanted a series mm -hmm. and I had an opportunity to do a series for about t at least 10 episodes till it, till it, till it got mm -hmm. canceled. Cause in series life though, that kind of thing happens. Oh, you yeah. never know when it's going to get canceled. Uh, there were also other opportunities, of course, on, on stage where I got to, uh, play some leading roles. So, so it's been sort of uh, spattered throughout my career. I've never really, one thing about me is like, I, I, I you have to sort of hold these opportunities that you get. You got to keep them in perspective because mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. that 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 uh, and enjoy them while you have it. So I never really saw one as necessarily a big break for me, mm -hmm. although I understood sort of the magnitude of certain opportunities versus others. For example, when I did uh, Django Unchained, mm -hmm. uh, even uh, uh, even sorry Django Unchained, even though it was uh, not a, a so-called huge character, but just the opportunity to work with Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah. 
uh, when I did King Kong, the opportunity to work with Peter Jackson. Uh, when I did the Side House Rules, that's probably was if I had to pick one, mm-hmm. that was my first film, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know as much about Lasser House from at the time, mm-hmm. but apparently he was a a big deal. Yeah, and then to do that first film, and then to see that film uh, get nominated for seven Academy Awards, yeah. and I think maybe won two of seven. Mm. Uh, that was special to me. Yeah, to be part of that was great, and that's when I. I knew I was on to something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you brought up three really interesting movies. Cider House Rules, um, mm. King Kong, the, the Peter Jackson uh, remake of King Kong, which is getting, that, that franchise is getting kind of revitalized pretty soon, I think. Um, mm. And then uh, Django Unchained. Now, those are three very different uh, directors and three different styles. You know, you have everything from this horror fantasy kind of the the island that you have to go to in King Kong is crazy. There's like mm. monsters, huge centipedes trying to eat you all the way down to something that's really kind of subtle and nuanced like Cider House Rules, where it's about farmers. It's about, you know, it's about um, kind of this agrarian kind of situation. What what was it like for you to be on such different sets and with such different directors? Well, it's funny because... I loved each opportunity. I loved each experience to, I don't know, to the exponentially. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons I did, and it was something that was very common, I thought, between all three directors, it was it was the fact that it was, they, they knew what they wanted. They really, really knew what they wanted to do. They really, really knew what they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. They really trusted you. They really respected uh, the, the actors. Uh, then also... Those kind of directors attract some of the best actors. For sure. Uh, I mean, you and, you were acting with Adrian Brody. You were acting with um, what Toby Toby, Mc- Toby McGuire, yeah. Delroy Lindo, Charlie Sterren. Um, uh, uh, Leo. Oh God, I forgot <laughs> the lady's name. Leo, Leo Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. right? Uh, Sam Jackson, Jamie Foxx. So, so when when you have those and Kerry Washington. When you have opportunity to be in that crew, mm-hmm. it only makes you better. And I think mm-hmm. I'm one of those guys. In fact, I know I'm one of those guys. Who I want to be amongst like the best people. Even if I could be the worst among the best, but I know when I leave mm-hmm. that experience, I'm going to be that much better for work. Yeah, it's kind of like real estate people. agents tell you, you know, buy the worst house in the best neighborhood kind of thing. Like, right, you, right. You just, yeah. I just want to be, you know, I want to be working with people who are I, good at what they do. Yeah, or, or going to somehow force me to come up mm-hmm. on... on on my game, and, and it's funny because it also, in a sense, it's encouraging because you realize, you know, one of the things I think that's tested, particularly as a young actor, when you get in those situations, you don't, if you hadn't had a lot of experience, you start to, you wonder if you really belong there. And it didn't yeah. take me long to realize, hey, you know, I belong. I think it started mm-hmm. actually with Side House Rules. Mm-hmm. I was, I was uh, doing a, a scene, and uh, it's funny because I was doing this scene, and then Lassa Hallstrom, I did it, I kept doing it. And I was, you know, a lot, lot of times young actors can be a little insecure mm-hmm. and they don't trust themselves. Mm-hmm. And and I and La, I asked Lassa, he was giving some notes to someone and I asked him, I said, hey, Lassa, you know, um, you know, what do you think about doing what you need me to do? He, said, he looked at me and he said, he said, you're fine. He said, I'll tell you when you're not. <laughs> and I said, okay, let me just shut up and get back in the corner. And it was, and even on that, 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 that film, Side of House Rules, I, I remember having a conversation with, uh, God rest his soul, Heavy D. He was mm. in the film and, I forgot that. and we were both talking. Yeah, he was in there and we were both talking and, 
and and no, it was him. It was him. It was him and K. Todd Freeman. K. Todd Freeman is another brilliant, a brilliant actor. Mm-hmm. He's out of uh, Steppenwolf. Okay. And I was talking with both of them, and K. Todd was standing there. And K. Todd is, is, I mean, he's a genius. Was standing there, and 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 I said to him, "Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm doing this, and I'm thinking I'm doing this." And he just quietly looked at me and said, "You're doing just fine." Don't worry, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing fine. And to get those kind of assurances, and I've got them throughout my career from him, John Voight one time, oh, working wow. with John Voight. Wow. Yeah, and and so I'm like, okay. You were around Michael Caine I, for Cider House, right? Uh, well, I never got to meet Michael Caine oh, okay. because we, we we weren't shooting on the same set. Oh, I think man. I shot at the I shot at the Apple Orchard. He wasn't there. He shot at a totally different location. Yeah. So in hindsight, I wish I would have. Mm-hmm. Taking the trip to go see him mm-hmm. when they were shooting with him, and at least taking mm-hmm. a picture. What were the what, what, but, what were the sets like? Um, so you're on the Orchard and Cider House Rules, but what what were the sets like in um, in King Kong? Was it a lot of green screen stuff, or yeah, definitely a lot of green screen, uh, and and, and uh, a lot of sort of studio basically sound stages where yep. they built. And it's funny because when you look at the film, and I don't know when they're going to have the extended version come out, if ever. But there's a lot of outtakes where that were never used in the film. For example, there was this huge scene built in this jungle mm-hmm. on this sound stage mm-hmm. where we we get I don't know if it's attacked, but this huge sort of prehistoric mm-hmm. monster comes out mm-hmm. and everybody's scrambling and I end up killing it and it comes falling down and it's amazing because that whole thing is done and it's great. You don't see the monster, obviously. It's a green screen, so you have to imagine he's running around. Yeah, that must be such a challenge. Doesn't <laughs> like something's trying to kill you. Actually, it's a lot of fun because it forces you to really, really push your imagination. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. You know, on film, they're going to see everything. Yeah, I was going to ask you about imagination yeah. in particular. Like, I was thinking about this. I was really looking forward to our conversation, not just to catch up, but to you and I have mm-hmm. have never really gotten to sit down and talk about your craft uh, that much. And and I was really excited to ask you. What what have those kind of roles where you have to have to kind of do that kind of visualization? What effect has it had on your imagination? Maybe in other parts of your life, has it has it changed the way you think about anything else? Oh, interesting. Um, has it has it made me sort of how's it, how's my imagination? Yeah, has, sort of honing has, it onto? has your imagination been affected just as a human being by the fact that you've been in these positions where you have to really imagine these things as an actor? In other words, like has your life as an actor bled over into your life as a human being in any way? Um, that's interesting. that's interesting. I think that if, I've never heard that question before, but I, I think it's a great question. I think it has. I think uh, one of the things that at least I think so, at least for me. Uh, that you have to have um, to be su- successful on some level, at least, at least, at least in how I've been somewhat successful, is that you have to really believe uh, in yourself or believe in your talent, and believe that you have to believe that you can not only do it, but you will get what you want. I don't know if this makes sense, but you can get what you want out of what you see, sort of in your career. Like, for example, I remember. Uh, years before I did King Kong, I was, I was do- doing, getting, doing pilots for television, but I really wanted to get into the movie. Yeah. More, more. Like I had, I had already done Side of House Rules by then, and I wanted to get the bigger, more genre movies, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm looking to do, more sort of big genre, mm-hmm. blockbuster mm-hmm. things. And I've done a few of them, but I want to do more. So I, I realized one time I was in Montreal, and there was, I was in a hotel room and I was shooting this pilot, and you know how in the hotel rooms they have sort of these previews on the TV. You see all these yes. movie previews. And I remember 
there was a previews and every time that before the preview started, there was like, there was this jingle called movies, 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 mm-hmm. movies. And they'd be showing all these scenes from different movies. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching some of the actors in it and saying to myself, you know something? If this is what I want, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to go after it. And this is what I'm going to get. This is the kind of career I want. I want. This is, I want a movie career. Nice. And and from that sort of, I, I had to go back, which is really it's one thing to say it, but anytime you sort of say something, you want something. Mm-hmm. What, what what you don't hear a lot of people talk about is you have to almost kind of look in the mirror and and ask yourself, well, what is it I'm doing or not doing? Why I don't have? Mm-hmm. You always have to put the onus back on yourself, mm-hmm. you know. And so I remember thinking about what I. And it was little things, what I needed to do mm-hmm. to get that. And one of the things I did was really, this is really odd. I looked at movie actors and I realized this, the movie actors, and this is really going to sound strange, only use two names, most of them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was using Evan Dexter Park. Mm-hmm. So I shortened it to just Evan Park. Mm-hmm. I used my name, Evan Park. And then I looked at my work and said, okay, what do movie actors do? That what 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 do you have to do in your work to get you more to those movies? And I and I, under, and I kind of knew that there was something I had to adjust in my work, mm-hmm. meaning my my sort of dig some more out of my talent and how mm-hmm. I performed mm-hmm. in a certain specific area in order to be more available for that big screen. Mm-hmm. And so what I did in order to do that was I got to this, uh, found a, a acting teacher in LA that would that was teaching in a way that would get what I wanted out of my talent. I think that's a really good point by you. Like you're already somewhat established. You've been in some stuff, but you're still Mm -hmm. working on your craft. Like you're still going back to the woodshed. Absolutely. Like right. And recently I did something. uh, There's this online thing called master classes. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I just purchased and started going through the master class that Kevin Spacey teaches, Nice, you know, and it's really, really good. And it's funny. He go, there's younger actors in there, but he goes back to the basics. Mm-hmm. And then he starts basically, uh, it's just five hours. And then you get a PDF where you're taking notes. He's going through that. I'm going through that. I just became a member of the Actors Center in New York, which is a community of professional actors. You have to get nominated. And then someone that nominated me, and you get interviewed. And then you get in that community and you have classes and workshops with master teachers. That's awesome. So, so, so all those things I've done to reinvest in myself because mm-hmm. I realize if people, we all want certain things, but mm-hmm. uh, if you want, then you have to be able to go back and sacrifice mm-hmm. and really not, you know, really shave off the pride mm-hmm. and work as hard as you can mm-hmm. and pray for the right and pray those opportunities open up. Yeah. So you can, so you can move up. It just takes, it's just a lot of work and. It's one thing to dream, but you got to put the work in with the dream. So I think that's yeah. a good point. I think like you and I are both Christians, and we both believe that there's like mm. there's like two ways you can really get off the rails. One is by saying like, "Well, God's just going to take care of it, and, and I can just kind of sit back and like just you know grace and providence and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff." The other one is like, "I'm going to do this all by myself." Kind of that American bootstrap, like it's all about like my effort and kind of that works. You know, I'm going to do mm-hmm. all these righteous <clears throat> things. I'm going to like kind of work my way up to God, kind of a thing. How do you? How have you seen those two extremes and like, tried to strike the balance between those two things uh, in your in your acting uh, career? Um, between faith and work. Yeah, kind of between like you know your part, God's part, faith and work. Like you know, not doing too much, but not not doing not enough. <laughs> well, it's funny. I I, I think the best way to, to answer that that for myself is you sort of, you do the work, you work hard you 
and you know when you're working hard. Yeah. You push you push yourself, but but you don't expect the work to get you the opportunity. Okay, so the opportunity comes you know, from for, outside of yourself. The opportunity comes for comes by the grace of God. Okay, you know because and and that's how as, as a Christian that's how I look at it. For example, uh, and this is kind of a, a Bible example I could use. Uh, I, I I don't know what. Uh, what book in the New Testament it is it's in it's in one of the the letters in, in the New Testament, but it talks about how they, I guess there were these people in I, I forgot what part of uh, Greco Roman world mm-hmm. where the Christian church or 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 um, were, were following or some were following Apollos, some mm-hmm. were following mm-hmm. Paul. There was this whole sort of debate. Mm-hmm. I'm Paul's guy. I'm Apollo's guy. Mm-hmm. These two uh, mm-hmm. itinerant preachers. Yeah, and and you know. Paul had to kind of correct everyone and say, look, you know, um, I think this is a, the, the correct uh, reference, but he was talking about how, you know, God's the one who gives the increase, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like farming. And, and yeah, you, you could work as hard as you can. There's a lot of farmers who are hard workers, they work the land. And then if something goes wrong, you know, a storm is a wrap. Or if you don't get the, your, the right opportunity to get your goods to market, then all that work is gone mm-hmm. to naught. Your food will spoil. Mm-hmm. So, so my thing is, oh, you work hard, but you, 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 you know, you have a vision for what you want. You work hard. You put that vision uh, before God. Um, and if it's something that's <laughs> consistent with yeah. how he's gifted you yeah, yeah. and what you think he's called you to do. You know, that's I can't important. Go and say, well, that's important. There's a lot yeah, of people who have dreams, but they're not good. Like, I'm, I, it doesn't matter if I wanted to play NBA basketball. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know, that yeah. just wasn't in the and, cards for me. And here's the situation I've, I've found, for example, especially in Hollywood. You know, people come out there and they want to be actors, per se, mm-hmm. or they want to be writers, you know. But you find that, wow, you're a brilliant singer. Yeah. And you love singing. Yeah. So why are you working so hard to be an actor? Yeah. You know, and you kind of have to question, well, what is, what's, what's behind that? Yeah. You know, but if you, if you got such a brilliant singing gift, yeah. use that, will get you to acting eventually, but really invest in that, you know. And so, so I, I think that. That whatever you sort of you're praying is sort of like believing for it has to it has to be consistent with how you're gifted, exactly. and how you're wired, yeah. and, and and how God's wired you. If you, you know if you're a Christian, you know mm-hmm. I happen to be one who believes God created created us. So yeah. so so how you're wired it makes sense, you know. But mm-hmm. and those op- and therefore if you're working hard and you think in terms of your opportunities like. God's grace, or or that you have no power over that, but you can work hard. Of course, you can network, you can meet people, but it still doesn't ultimately define how you get an opportunity. Then, once those opportunities do come, you're not really you're not taking credit for getting an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're taking credit, then, you know, or even the, the yeah, that yeah. leads to gratitude. Yeah, you know, yeah. that leads to like not being like, well, I'm everything, yeah. I'm all that, but but like you're grateful for the opportunities that you've been given, exactly. which makes you exactly. a nicer person to be around. <laughs> Among other nice person to be around, man. Yeah. So, okay, you had mentioned something. You had mentioned TV versus versus movies, and obviously, those two worlds are starting to collide with Netflix and with other things mm-hmm. like that. Like the first episode of The Get Down, which we'll get to in a few minutes, is like ninety five minutes long. Like, like I've been watching some HBO shows where, like, the first and last episode, um, The Night of, is the show I'm thinking of, uh, are mm-hmm. are an hour and a half long. So, I mean, we're talking about like several short films, right? Like in the, in the mm-hmm. production quality and the cinematography and the actors are film actors. You're a film actor on the get down uh, among, you know, among other major film actors. And it's like, mm-hmm. like you had to navigate when 
TV was really different than movies, and I'm sure it still is. But how have you seen that change over the last 20 years? Like from these are two completely separate worlds. Are they still two con- completely separate worlds for you, or have you started to see any differences? Mm, that's interesting. Uh, no, for me, to some degree, I think the the, the two separate worlds. Okay. Uh, I, I think so. I could I can get off this podcast, think about it, so I won't be like, oh. Like no, with the really get down, did that feel like a TV show or did it feel like a movie for you? Hmm. Well, because of the, the I think the speed of the shoot mm-hmm. felt like a television show. Okay, cool. Um, but um, were you working with Baz Luhrmann at all? Yeah, definitely. Baz directed mm-hmm. a couple of the episodes. There's some really good directors. Mm-hmm. Of the yeah, and he's like a he's like a crazy guy. dude and a visionary and yeah. a movie guy for sure. So like, you had the TV schedule going on, but you also had some some real movie type people, including yourself. Yeah, yeah. The 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 the, 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 the TV when I say felt like a TV show, just because the speed of shooting, but mm-hmm. but you know, just the I think what you're finding more maybe. Uh, and I think this is because of the uh, proliferation of cable uh, channels. Mm-hmm. Is you're definitely TV. TV in a sense, a lot of times, uh, TV shows didn't feel as sort of. I don't know if this makes sense. To have the sort of top, the same level of gravitas, I think movies had. You yeah. know, yeah, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> now you're seeing that's different. That's different, especially with all these cable shows. Mm-hmm. Like for example, my dream would be on. A, a hit HBO show oh, or sure. hit Showtime, yeah. particularly HBO, because they because they my dream dream would be to do a hit HBO show series in New York, yeah, like a one to three lead. Dude, I'm telling you, know, you I, mean, I don't know if you've seen any any specific. of uh, the Night of the HBO eight eight part series that just came out, but it is stellar. It is really, it's just as good as a movie. It's like eight movies. It's so the sick. Night of. I'm, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, the Night you know, of. It's also, no, and also I'm noticing about there's a lot of the situations. I wouldn't say a lot, but there's some situations now that I think are pretty interesting. Of um, they call the event series, I think, mm-hmm. or, or and and uh, what they were either event series, limited or series, and thousands, yeah, yeah, the limited series, yeah. And those I think are pretty interesting because I'm around because I'm back in grad school. I'm around a few millennials, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I realized okay, I, I, I was listening to a couple of them talk one time about some TV show, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how they sort of like some of these shows are going to where they do like each 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 um season mm-hmm. they do like a dip they they do a different sort of event mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and they keep the same cast and switch everybody up. I think uh what what just did this uh American Horror Story? Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. They yeah they like, kept a lot of the same cast and they've done different. They setups. keep the cast and they they do different setups every season. And it's interesting because I think from listening to these millennials that sort of TV works for them. Well, I would add um, some of the British mm. stuff, like uh, Black Mirror. Black Mirror is an awesome show, and every single episode mm. is just like a short film. It's almost like reading a book full of short stories. Um, it's called. It's on what's it, what um, network is that? BBC. Uh, it's it's uh, one of the British networks, but it's available. At least the first two seasons, maybe even three, are available through um, Netflix, either Netflix or Amazon. I think Netflix. And the the thing with Black Mirror and other shows, it's like called. That, it's called. It's called what? Black, black Mirror. Black Mirror, because it's about like our phone screens. You know how like your phone mm. screen is kind of like a black mirror. It's about like okay. all the technology, and it's crazy and mind blowing. The thing about British television is they get away with like three or four episode seasons sometimes. Like they get mm. like Sherlock is like every season of Sherlock is like three short films, and so oh, wow. I think over there it's blurring even more than what we've seen over here. 
Um, but I think you're right. It's about quality and it's about the, the you know, the, the proliferation of cable channels and, uh, you know, prestige dramas and things of that nature. And um, mm. I think it's really a really exciting time for, for people like you and my wife. My wife, as you know, is a film composer. She's worked on TV mm. stuff and movie stuff. It's an exciting time because it seems like it's a little easier to move between the two than it used to be mm. uh, because mm. the lines are a little bit more blurred. But, you know, you would know mm. that. Yeah, I, 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 no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, when I, now that I think about it, it's funny because, um, like, what was that saying? TV. Oh man, I forgot what I was going to say. No, that's but I, I, but I agree with that. Um, I also wanted to ask you, like, okay, so as, as your career has kind of gone on and you've gotten different kinds of opportunities, you've been on dozens of different kinds of sets. What are some of the things that you've learned just as a professional like maybe not mistakes you made when you were younger, but things you've adjusted, like how you conduct yourself or how you approach things. Anything has anything kind of like developed in terms of your habits when you're on set or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I, even something as simple as, as watching how you eat on set, mm-hmm. because you, let's say if you have a scene the same day yeah, and you shoot one part of it one day and shoot the other part two weeks later mm-hmm. you look and you look 10 pounds heavier <laughs> you know it seriously shows up and then when well, you play like that, buff dudes like you you gotta like you gotta kind of be jacked for some of these parts right yeah i have to be what jacked for some of these parts yeah you know but even then you know i yeah like i've lost weight which is good and i want to lose more but i think even if i lose 10 more pounds i still look jacked but as far as some, some other habits, I guess I guess I've, I've, I've adjusted. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, where you, Just, are you? You seem like a fairly outgoing dude. Like, like, are, are you able to like? Are there? You know, are there like? Is there like a pretty collegial attitude on most sets where people are chatting and kind of getting to know each other? Yeah, it depends. You know, some people. Uh, you know, I, I'm the type of guy. I don't really force conversation if, yeah. if somebody's not really trying to vibe with me or talk mm-hmm. to me much like I, I'm, I'm pretty friendly mm-hmm. then I don't force it because people are different and for a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons if they're not if they, they want to be focused on their role mm-hmm. or some people they just you know you know and this happens on sets people may not think you're that important mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. so it's really funny so that you find those those things yeah, really you still get that Hollywood they, attitude sometimes some sometimes you get it but not most times I don't but every now and then you get it. it's funny uh especially for people who haven't been around that long, you know, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the time that can, that can boil out of their own insecurity. Yeah. And people like some people, it's really cost them a career because people just go, no, I don't want to work with this person because they're just, yeah. they're not, you know, they're not uh, a pleasure to collaborate with. Um, not at all. I, There's some people like that. They, they, you look at them, you, you say to yourself, man, why are you so difficult? You're making 60,000, 60 to $70,000 an episode. Yeah. Maybe more. And you're and you're and you're difficult to work with. Yeah, hmm. uh, I think like what my wife and I have realized as I've gone to these you know the same parties kind of parties you go to Hollywood things is, you know there are people who, like you said, there's an insecurity, and yeah, definitely. And at first you think oh Hollywood's just all about like who you know and that's so bad, but over time you figure out well yeah there is some of that some of that nepotism or whatever, but part of it is just uh-huh. people don't like to work with jerks like people like to work mm-hmm. with people that they like and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. And then there's some situation where there's some people who are consistently jerks, but they, 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 they work all the time. But know what's interesting though? I found though some of the nicest people are the most famous people. Really? Oh yeah. I found some of the most nicest people 
to be some of the most famous. And I, I'll tell you, right, I, I'll even list names of people I really think are amazing. Yeah, give us some people who are just like great people. Uh, I think, I think personally, I think people are great people. I think just person, not just actors, mm-hmm. in person when I've met them. I think Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. I think kiss, kiss, Jack bang, bang. Black. <laughs> yeah, I think Jack Black is that. He's just a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Just really, you know, very down to earth. You know, I think, um, well, so the man is. When did you work people. with Jack or when did you meet him? Oh, for King Kong. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. So I think DiCaprio. Yeah, I think DiCaprio is think Christoph Waltz. Guys, you meet them uh, on the set, off the set. You know, I think Charlize mm-hmm. Theron's really cool. I think Toby Maguire's cool. Heavy D, I have to mention also. You know, who's fast. Yeah, so there's some people out there that are super famous, they're super successful, but they're still going to treat you like a person. They're gonna, they're still gonna treat you like, hey, you know, I think Kerry is cool. Kerry Washington might interact. Yeah, with seems awesome. So I mean, these are, yeah, I, I think these people are really, really cool people. So I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I did want to get to the main, the main topic here, which is the get down. What, how did that happen mm-hmm. for you? How did you get involved in the get down? Maybe give our listeners a little bit of a setup of your understanding of the show and like how you got involved in that. Well, it's funny. I got involved. I, I, I auditioned and. Uh, I think I auditioned for a couple different roles in that one. Uh, auditioned one time for this one role. Uh, uh, think of Zeke's step. Zeke's yeah. mom, mother. Yeah. Zeke was one lead character. His mother's uh, boyfriend, boyfriend, mm-hmm. living boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then they came. I didn't get that. And they came back to me for Wolf, and that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I got it. What kind and of guy is Wolf? Wolf is a street executive. He's, uh, <laughs> He's he's a uh, I think he's intelligent, but he's he's ruthless mm-hmm. and he's ruthless and he he doesn't suffer fools mm-hmm. long, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he's ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's but he tries to be smart about it, yeah. you know. And and uh, and so he's that kind of guy. I kind of looked at some characters that I studied a few different people from that era who I think fit uh, a wolf kind of guy, yeah. except you know. Well, I think I think Nikki Barnes was one of them. Everybody mm-hmm. who knows kind of that time period knew Nikki Barnes was probably him and Frank Lucas. Mm-hmm. But Nikki Barnes was probably the biggest drug dealers, um, mm-hmm. most successful um, in the country, uh, in New York at that time. Mm-hmm. But what what's interesting about Nikki Barnes, though, which I thought was interesting, a lot of people don't really understand this, is some of these street executives are some of the most intelligent people you could ever meet. For sure, for you know, sure. Extremely intelligent. And Nicky Barnes was so. I, I, there's a documentary about him called Mr. Untouchable. Huh. And, he, and he's, it's a great documentary about Nicky Barnes. And he's, one of the things Nicky Barnes was, was, was a, uh, uh, was just a, 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 I think the word is voracious. I haven't forgotten that. Yeah. Reader. He was yeah. like, he read, read, read. And one of the books he read, which I've read several times, and I think I, I went ref- reference it, I didn't go back and reference it, but I've read it at least twice, was The Prince by Machiavelli. Yep. You ever read that book? Yeah. And so Nikki Barnes tried to operate in that mm-hmm, mindset. Mm-hmm. And, but on top of that, at the end of, of, uh, of, of the documentary, Nikki Barnes is talking about Moby Dick. He read Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And he was, <laughs> here's this, this gangster in, in, in witness protection. Yeah. <clears throat> who talking about Moby Dick and, and referencing how, how the way they operated was like Captain, what was, Captain um, Ahab. What was the, the, Ahab, Captain Ahab's pursuit of the white whale was similar similar to their pursuit of the Almighty Dollar. Yep. 
It was, and it's just brilliant That's to hear him yeah. break it down. And it's like, wow, this guy's mind is, besides just that was, was he could have done anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what you find with Wolf, and that's what you find with a lot of guys. Who so you are you touched on a little bit on the street kind of you know professional aspect of it. You know, the get down set in the late the late seventies in the South Bronx mostly, but in other parts of New York, Queens, Manhattan, things like that. But mm-hmm. okay, so there's this this drug angle in this kind of street angle. What else is going on? What are some of the other big things happening um, in the get down? No, there's all definitely family relationship stuff. Uh, <clears throat> so the whole, uh, the politics of the the South Bronx. Yeah. You have the councilman played by Jimmy Smith, mm-hmm. who's trying to get, uh, get swing his rate around to get the New York mayor to to pour money into a project he has mm-hmm. for the South Bronx, mm-hmm. and he's like quote unquote the people's guy. Yeah. Uh, you have the preacher who doesn't want his Giancarlo daughter Esposito. singing. Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito doesn't want his daughter singing. Uh, secular music because that's considered the devil music yeah. and there's a lot of that, that, yeah. that I, I grew up around that yeah but there's a but my father my parents wasn't as, as intense mm-hmm. as he was but there were a lot of people who had intense parents who wouldn't let their kids go mm-hmm. to movies wouldn't let their kids watch tv yeah. uh to, or some wouldn't let their kids even watch tv mm-hmm. or, but definitely not listen to uh, or go to movies but definitely not listen to secular music and you just touched on three and, huge uh-oh. things you touched on music politics and religion and this show's got mm-hmm. tons of all three of those right tons of all that and also just the street artists and graffiti artists yep. you don't see that a lot anymore but used to graffiti up the train that stuff is done a lot of those kids were gifted and so um and then a lot of the just the exploitation of of sort of those poor communities, yeah. you know, firehouses closing down, yeah. which is connected to politics. So, mm-hmm. uh, bringing back those uh, those images and those stories were wonderful. I, I heard from a lot of people via either Facebook or or just texting me and say, "Hey, you know, man, thanks for doing that, man. That was a great era, man. I remember that. I remember this. I remember that." There, you know, kids, I, guys, I talked to fraternity brothers. One particular fraternity brother who sort of knew the gangs at that time yeah. and. And said, man, he said, man, the gangs were grimy, just like those (laughs) warlords, you know, they look grimy, you know, I said, really? So, so, and these guys all grew up in around the era. Now you interact with a character a lot. Maybe the guy that you spent the most time with, you can tell us about the actor, but I'm talking about the character Cadillac. Yeah. Um, So the character Cadillac, he is, he really loves disco. (laughs) Can you talk about Mm -hmm. that a little bit? Just how much this guy loves disco? Yeah, he loved disco, man. Yaya, Yaya uh, played uh, the character, uh, Yaya Mateen. Fantastic uh, job. Was, uh, yeah, he did fantastic. Yaya is a, is a recent graduate. Yaya's from the Bay Area. Recent graduate. Uh, that's his first job out of Yale, drama wow. school. Wow. You know, which is cool. A uh, great guy, man. Um, and he, uh, I think he's going to be a, I think he's going to be a star. I think he's going to do well. Yeah, dude can uh, dance. Really well. He's a good looking guy. He, like, yeah, but no, it's funny because then this is his first job, and I, it was funny because I remember we were rehearsing and he was practicing the dance, and and he didn't know how much he'd have to do that dance, yeah, because it's filmed, yeah. And man, I felt bad for him, man, because when they when the day came for him to do the dance, I mean, he was doing that all day from different angles, from mm-hmm. from like mm-hmm. early in the day all the way to one in the morning. I remember that that that, that stuff was shot and. And then on top of that, the shoes he practiced in were light. They gave him these big clunky shoes. Now, now Yaya's young, man. Mm-hmm. He's like late twenties. High energy. So high, high energy, but still, I can't imagine. I think if I would have to do what he had to do, I would be like on crutches. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? I mean, it's because... intense. The whole thing, there's so much physical activity going on, whether it's at one of the get-downs or whether it's at one yeah. of the disco clubs or whether it's, you know, just in the more gangbanger type scenes or whether it's in politics. I mean, the one thing I would say about the atmosphere that they really captured um, about a city in the summertime. Now, I, I've never lived in New York in the summertime, although I've been there, but I've lived in Boston in the summertime. I live obviously right. in LA during the summertime. It's just, there's just like this, this sweatiness. Just, I would just say there's just yeah. like sweat every, because you walk outside, it's like, especially on the East coast, it's humid, you're doing stuff. And there's this like feel of like, yeah, man, that's what it was like for me living even up in the Northeast during the summers. Like it's just right. like everything's hot all the time. And then when the blackout happens, it's just like, imagine just how bad that would be to be in the middle of a hot concrete jungle city in the in the seventies, and now you've got no air conditioning. Like one scene, yeah. Jimmy Smith uh, is icing his feet off in a tub just to get cool. It's funny. I remember that blackout too. I remember. I'm giving I'm giving my age away now. I remember the blackout. Wow. I remember where I was. I remember where I was sitting. I think July. Wow. When it happened, I was sitting on the porch in Brooklyn on, on uh, Elder Street, Bushwick, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. My grandmother was sitting in her chair. I was sitting next to her on on on, stop, on the step. And all of a sudden, the lights went out. Wow. And I was like, wow, what happened? Because, I, of course, I'm eight, seven, eight years old. I yeah. had never seen a blackout before. Yeah. So then, like, it was like Beirut. If you remember what Beirut was like back in the 70s, like, bombed out, man. And yeah. It was constantly, constant fighting. And, and, you know, with the looting and stuff like that, it came like it was a mess. As so a I remember New that. Yorker. It was in the heat of July. I remember that. As a New Yorker, how do you feel like the the city's portrayed uh, in, in the Get Down? You, do you feel like it's accurate re- representation of how New York was back in the day? Yeah, I definitely think so. From what I saw, yeah, from what I've seen and what I read, because I like I haven't seen all the episodes yet, but uh, before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen and read, absolutely. You know, New York was back in the day. New, the New York was a lot less safe than it is now. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot more crime <laughs> yeah. for some reason. I don't know why it's less now. I think I feel like, and I have to give credit to Giuliani for this. Uh, something Giuliani did sort of made the city a lot more livable. Uh, I, there's some things I can speculate he did. I thought were pretty smart, but but back then it was very the subways was, was mm-hmm. subway the subways were bad. Who was the you first know, mayor of New York that subway you crime like? Was probably yeah, it was bad. Who was the first mayor of New York that you like remember? Like oh, that's the mayor. Mayor Beam, Mayor Mayor Beam. So you, so the guy he, from the beginning of the, the show. Movie. He was the mayor of the time. So the you remember him? You remember Koch? You remember all those guys? I remember all those guys. I, I remember. Uh, I remember the the one thing I remember about Mayor Beam was that the city was broke when he was mayor. Like mm-hmm. all all those constant talk about New York was bankrupt, mm-hmm. and he was and he was being blamed for it. Yeah, it's incredible well, like, how strong rightfully so. New York has bounced back, you know, in the last couple yeah. of decades. Like, just just how how significant – I mean, obviously, New York's always been a great city. It's been a financial powerhouse. But, like, it, like right. even the fact that, like, just prices of stuff, you know, like we've experienced in L.A., you've experienced in New York, how Brooklyn is kind of like – like Brooklyn used to be like the place you didn't want to live, but now everybody wants to live in Brooklyn. It's like Jay-Z yeah, wants Brooklyn, to be in Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn's my favorite, bro. <clears throat> Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, if you had to kind of give our audience the quick pitch of why they should spend, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hours of their time and, and check out the Get Down, 
what's uh, for you? Why is it something that's important, or why is it something that's meaningful? Uh, well, it's definitely important and meaningful because it's a side of of which I think was really interesting. It's a side of not only New York but sort of sort of the world. You kind of see where hip hop and rap and pop culture. Yeah, you get you get this that stuff you enjoy. You rock in the car too. This is kind of where it started. Yeah, this is how it all began. I, I remember and, watching and Straight Out of Compton a, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. I caught up and and you and you just you see where this came from, West Coast rap. But but West Coast rap was building on all of this stuff. Oh, and building York. exactly everything came out of New York. So you're kind of seeing how it started. It's funny. I'm not, I don't want to be a spoiler, but just interesting how like the last I guess there's a there's a scene in the first episode when the kids all go to this sort of underground party mm-hmm. and just to see sort of the the beginnings of sort of Grandmaster Flash, I think in the Furious yeah. Five, to see that, that's really yeah. cool. cool. But just Herc. understanding that, and Grandmaster Flash was at the premiere, and he talked about how, you know, you're not thinking back then that what they were doing would become a billion dollar industry. Yeah, all no over one the thought world. that. Yeah, people all thought, like, over. I love the arguments between the kids, <sighs> like where, like, Mylene, she, her, and her girls, they're all about disco and singing, and, like, uh, mm. like, they give this record to the guys and all the guys want to do is find the break, the get down, you know, the part with the drums and everything. Yeah. So they could, they could, so they could hit that get down. (laughs) Exactly. It's so funny that there was this huge paradigm shift between like, no, that's the singing part. That's the good part. So they're like, no, 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 no. We're looking for the joint. We're looking for the get down. It's, it's such an interesting shift. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that watching that, because hip hop is, I mean, you go anywhere in the world, man, and people are rocking to it. And people are into it, so that's literally changed the world. And, that, and, that, and, and that's why they released it all over the world on on um, I think it was August twelfth. Yeah, when they released it on Netflix, they recently released I forget over eighty countries. So, so you, you're getting to see where it all began, oh. and it gives a lot, and it gives a lot of props to New York, and and I think uh, and New Yorkers. So of course, you know, that's that that means a lot to me. <laughs> I want to ask you one last thing about the get down, then we can we can mm-hmm. start to wrap up a little bit. Uh, what about these kids, man? I'm writing a piece right now for, for ARC um, where we post this podcast and we write some stuff just on the resurgence of these amazing stories that are from mostly from the perspective of kids, of young mm-hmm. kids, teenagers, even college mm-hmm. age people. And these actors, where did they come from, man? Like you got to act with some of them. Some of these young actors are unbelievable. Yeah, they are. They are, they are unbelievable. I got a chance to act with Shamik. I think Shamik's unbelievable. Um, Shamik played. Shamik was great. If you ever seen the movie Dope. You see the movie, movie I Dope? Too. It's on my he's, short list, yeah. Yeah, he was the lead for Dope. He's outstanding. And he plays he's committed shop, to it, right? You know? Yeah, he plays Shout. Yeah, he's committed to it. So he's also uh, a Jamaican family because I'm from Jamaica. So yeah. I mean, he's, he's his Jamaican family. So, of course, I got I, I love Jamaican mm-hmm. culture so he, and people. So he's come out of that. So, But I think uh, they're just phenomenal. Um, and the casting did a, and Boz did a great job of, of selecting them to play these roles. Yeah, and and I would say, like, in addition to them being young, they're hungry, they're really good. I mean, they represent a diversity that we really haven't seen before in, like, in, mm-hmm. in waves. Like, you know, when I was growing up, it was the Brat Pack, right? It was all of mm-hmm. the, the um, like, uh, Breakfast Club and all those movies and Home Alone. Right, right. It was really mid- Midwestern, really white. Um, but mm-hmm. now, like, you're seeing this kind of, like, rainbow color of of young actors coming up. And I think it's cool because that's what America is. It's this incredible melting pot. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Thanks for going over the get down with us, but just lastly, like 
you're a guy who you've worked hard at school and you're at Yale Divinity School. You've worked hard at acting. Um, what, how do those two things relate for you? And what, what advice would you have for somebody who is a person of faith or some a person of deep conviction, but also, you know, maybe wants to get involved in, in an industry that can be as kind of sticky as, as Hollywood? Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the question, Ryan, because some, something went out. Say, say it again. Please. Yeah. So just you're, you've been involved in Yale Divinity School and at Fuller, where I've been. You've studied theology and, and, and that's a part of your life. And, and being a person of, of faith is a big part of your life. And on the flip side, you're also this actor who's been involved in Hollywood, which can you know get a little sticky. What would you say to people who are who feel like they're called to both things, like to be a person of, of deep faith and conviction, but also maybe called to get out there in the world where it can kind of get a little, you know, a little gritty sometimes. I would say I would say, first of all, you know, um, just just trust God, you know, trust God, uh, have open mind. Don't judge things before you see the whole mm -hmm. story. Uh, if God's calling you to it, trust him. If, you, if he's calling you to it, then he knows that you're capable of dealing with the grittiness of it, hmm. you know, and still doing what he needs you to do. You know, I, there was a few years ago, um, oh, and even when you look at the, the Bible, but there's a few years ago, I was a volunteer for prison fellowship. Mm -hmm. You know, I did some volunteering and you go to prisons, you know, and you, you, you we were doing it. I was in New Zealand. And we we're doing uh church services and prisons, I, I guess, you know, and I'd, I'd be there sort of helping out. You know, I wouldn't speak necessarily. I made, maybe I get to say a few words. And, you know, in, even in these prisons, you know, uh, which are considered dark places, you know, and they are dark places, but no darker, honestly, than any place else in the world. Mm -hmm. They're dark. Yeah. Cause they're, cause they're prisons and you know, people who are there yeah. got caught for whatever they did yeah. and they're there. But even in those situations, God, God, God is there. And I believe in the darkest places, that's where you find God the most at work, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think you have to look at, uh, I think entertainment industry, and I, I'm of the opinion that entertainment, entertainment industry is dark, but no, there's darkness pretty much everywhere. It's yeah, just there's with darkness the in church. There's darkness in, in church, business, exactly. You're just kind of seeing the industry, entertainment industry is a little just more vulnerable and just mm -hmm. more open mm -hmm. to what, you know. And so the, the, the bottom line is that that my advice would be definitely trust God. Don't be afraid of, of the so-called um, darkness or greediness of the industry. Trust him. Hold on to him. because He's obviously calling you there, and he's able to complete whatever he started. He's able to, uh, uh, to, to keep you sort of, keep you focused and keep you from self-destructing. Mm -hmm. If you hold on to him and trust him for what he's calling you to do in that industry, if you combine the arts and, and theology, that's great. I think... I've just recently realized how wonderful, how blessed it is, and wonderful in a sense, to be a, to be able to sort of do both, yeah, and to be able to merge that in a way that's real and that can help people, yeah, you know, and so that's 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 what I would say. That makes yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, my dissertation I'm writing is, you know, that this guy Dietrich Bonhoeffer that you've read some uh, of his. Oh yeah, big, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Bonhoeffer. <clears throat> and you know, one of his big things was if we believe that God really came into the world in the form of a person, then the reality of the world and the reality of God are one reality reconciled in Jesus Christ, which means you don't run away from the world to be a Christian. You run into the you world run into to be it. a Christian. That's great. But you just have to be formed according to that image. You have to be formed according to, you know, who you, what your core identity is. Right. Nah, that's great.
So last but not I least, agree. is there anything that we should be looking forward to? Any future projects? Anything you're doing that we should keep uh, keep an eye out for? Well, n- not yet. I'm actually working on, on, on some stuff. I did some stuff today that we'll we'll hear about it soon. Okay. But when cool. I but when I do, I'll let you know. Um, but. Uh, uh, right, well, uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you really soon. I hope that we get to talk to you again. Uh, this has been like one of the, our most interesting episodes, and I really thank you for your time. And man, I hope that everything keeps going going right for you. Yeah, I believe it will. I just gotta. It's, it's all God's grace, you know. And, uh, and that's how it all that's how it all shakes out. That's how I got to look at. It. Well, thanks again, guys. This has been uh, episode forty of the Mean the Get Down with Evan Park. We thank you for for your time. We thank uh, you for listening and uh, you'll hear from us next week. So thanks, bye. man. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan.